Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Do y'all know about disappointment? Has anybody here ever been disappointed? Would you lift a hand if you have ever been disappointed? Lift it up really high. Yes, wave it around like a palm branch. Yes, I have been disappointed. I know, I know about disappointment. Uh, I, know, I know disappointment well, and I think we all do. Uh, this past Thursday night, I had the great privilege of being the chauffeur for my daughter and four of her friends to go to the Disney Princess concert. We took all their families. We all went together. It was so much fun to go to the Disney Princess concert at the Opryland, at, at the Opry House. That's where we were at the Opry House. We got there about an hour early. We stuffed them with popcorn and chocolates and all kind of good stuff so they'd be ready for the show. You know, they all go to bed about 7 o'clock, and it didn't start until 7. So you can imagine what kind of attitude we were already dealing with by the time we got there. They were all dressed in their favorite Disney princess costumes. So we had a jasmine and a bell, and I don't know, I couldn't even keep up with what all we had. We had the, we had the girls lined up on the, the second row with a parent at either side, and then the rest of us sat in front of them so that we could turn around and look at their faces as they were surely to be filled with delight at the Disney Princess concert. And so we sat for about 30 minutes with our popcorn and stuff. The curtain came up and out walked one piano player and four women who were to sing Disney Princess songs. Everybody clapped, cheered. Woo, it was a lot of fun. Not the people behind me. (laughs) Not the people who came with me. In the midst of the clapping, as the clapping began to recede, we heard... Where are the princesses? We thought we were getting princesses. Where are their crowns? You said, Daddy, you said this was a Disney princess concert, and we don't see a a princess of any kind. (laughs) They were disappointed. Disappointment fell upon them like a great cloud. All of the parents, we were looking at each other with the deer in the headlights look, trying to, what do we do? What do we do now? What do we do? Thankfully, as soon as they started singing, the girls started singing along, and we just forgot that they were not actually the Disney princesses in costume. They had all been Disney princesses. That's why they were singing the songs. They just had not worn their costumes to this event. Disappointment was real. It was real for us, but we made it through the night. And you haven't lived until you have heard 3,000 little girls singing, Let It Go, at the top of their lungs at the Opry House. It was, it was something. 
It was something. Our journey into Holy Week begins today, today, with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You saw it on the screen. We got to hear it and watch it. That was really neat. We are laying down palm branches and cloaks to make way for the king, while Luke, the gospel writer, lays down Old Testament scriptures like foundation stones so that we understand for sure this is Jesus, the King of kings. This is God's Messiah. The one you've all been waiting for is here. That's what's happening. Luke wants us to be sure. The Savior of God's people has finally arrived and is making his way to the Holy of Holies. It is glorious. But it is a little different than what we had thought would happen. This triumphal royal parade is staffed with fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, blind people, farmers, shepherds, some women and children, folks like that. It's not exactly the great conquering general and the ticker tape parade with marching band and 21-gun salute. It was probably, probably more like if everybody in Walmart after 9 p.m. was herded out onto Memorial and we marched with our wobbly shopping carts all the way down to the church. That's probably what this was really more like on the first Palm Sunday. Still, these people knew who Jesus was. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They changed the word in Psalm 118. It's supposed to say, blessed is the one. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is riding on a donkey. It's like King Solomon. They know this. He's the king of peace. Luke is echoing Zechariah who says, he will cut off the war horse, the battle bow, the weapons from Jerusalem will be cut off. He will command peace, peace to the nations Jesus is a king, not just the kind that rides into town on a war horse, peddling fear and terror and fight. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, why, they rush out to this mushrooming crowd of common folks, and they say, Jesus, tell your people to quit making such a fuss. You will get us all in trouble. Please make it stop as fast as you can, and don't you imagine this is blasphemous anyhow. You need to make them stop. Jesus says, oh, I tell you, if these people were silent, if these people were silent, even the stones would shout out. That's John the Baptist from Luke chapter 3. God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. The week, the holy week unfolds with cleansing the temple, teaching, signs and wonders, meals and prayers. But by the end of holy week, these same people who would not be silenced. They are now shouting with the Pharisees, crucify him, crucify him. Let's, let's see how that happened. Let's look at Luke 23, 13 through 24 to see how things shook out. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders and the people, and they said to them, you brought me this man as one who was perverting the people, and here I have examined him in your presence and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, Jesus has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore just have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted out together. Oh, these are the same people who were celebrating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Away with the fellow. Release Barabbas for us. 
This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified. And their voices, their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. How in the world did these religious leaders mislead good, faithful people just like us into joining their wicked plot against God's own Messiah. How did they do that? How in the world did they make that happen? Well, I think we can see. They just tapped right into that deep vein of disappointment which runs through every human heart, not just five-year-olds at the Disney Princess concert. Oh, you get human beings down into disappointment and unmet expectations, and we'll believe anything. Might as well just put a hook in our nose and lead us around like a pet hog. That's how it works. That's how our humanity works. That's a broken place that we all have. That's the power of disappointment. Politicians, powerful people, preachers, we all know how to use your disappointment with life to get you to do what we want even when it takes us far away from God's saving work unfolding in the world. I know disappointment right now. I am disappointed, as many of you are, with our denominational bickering, with our divisive rhetoric, our national conversations about how bad our, each other is. I, I'm disappointed with our Christian leaders who who prefer to keep God's people distracted by a thousand controversies rather than to do the hard work of suffering with, praying with, walking with, meeting Jesus with, and disciple-making. I feel the pull of powerful people who would prey on my disappointment in order to enrich themselves and to keep me distracted from the real work of Jesus. What do I do? I pray every day. I hope you do too. Lord, help me not be distracted and easily swayed by my disappointments. I pray that prayer because I would like not to be found in the angry crowd shouting at my Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. But let's dig a little deeper. We wonder what is at the heart of this disappointment? What is at the heart of these folks' disappointment? This disappointment even gets to the faithful disciples after Jesus' death. They're walking out of the city. Jesus is with them, and they just don't know it yet. Luke 24, we hear them say, Jesus is right there. They just don't realize it, and they say, but we had hoped. Can you hear the disappointment in that phrase? But we had hoped. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We trace all of this back through the twists and turns. There was and there is a deep hunger among God's people, especially the Hebrew people, that, that God would send a Savior, a King, a kind of a, a new Moses to deliver them once and for all from the hands of their captors. 
the hunger of their hearts, the, the frame through which they saw the world and the Scriptures was, and only one thing, was a Messiah riding on a war horse into the middle of Jerusalem. He and his army would expel the Romans and put God's people back in the seat of power. They would then rule the world forever as magnanimous conquerors. This is what they thought was happening when Jesus came into Jerusalem. They were willing to overlook the borrowed donkey and the ragtag bunch of disciples. But after a few days, they soon realized Jesus was not doing what they wanted in the way that they wanted the religious leaders were happy to leverage their disappointment in order to get rid of Jesus, in order to keep their grasp on power. If we listen carefully, their disappointment is a classic case of unmet expectations. They are expecting a Messiah who will save and deliver God's people. God's people, the good ones, those who are worthy of the name, they are expecting a Messiah who will deliver them. What they get, what they get is a Messiah who has come to save and deliver the whole world, the whole world. What was once us versus them, and who is in and who is out, nice, easy, clean categories, why now all of that is gone and it's just us. All of us together, all the people whom God loves together, the Messiah has come to save and deliver the whole world, even those whom we think don't deserve it. We are faced, we still today, we are faced with the heavy decision, will we be disappointed by this news like they were so long ago, or will we be delighted by it? Unfortunately, Many in the crowd chose the former. They shouted curses at Jesus all the way to the cross. Sure, they had been misled by their religious leaders, but they took great personal responsibility in making sure Jesus suffered every step of the way. Let's hear how it ended. Verse 44, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole world until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for the spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. I want to say very clearly what happened God entered the brokenness of our world in Jesus. God decided to act with such saving power in such a broad and all-encompassing way that we, God's people, felt it best to lie, curse, and despise the grace of God made real in the person of Jesus. 
We nailed him to the cross and put him on the highest hill until he died. We left him hanging there all day as a warning to God to not do this nonsense again because we did not want to share the grace that had been poured out on us. We set our house on fire rather than open the doors to all the people God is saving. Now, you and I certainly weren't there when it happened, but our humanity, that part of us that is still disappointed in God's plan to save the thems too, not just us, that sinful part of us, why, it helped drive those nails. It helped hurl those curses, and it even told the lies that got Jesus to the cross. We are still driving those nails. Every time our disappointment leads to despair, leads to anything less than love for God and love for neighbor as we love ourselves, anything less than accepting each other as Christ has accepted us, Romans 15 and 7, that ought to be plastered on our foreheads because we forget it so much. I can't help but wonder on this Palm Sunday as we make the turn to Good Friday, I can't help but wonder if God was as disappointed in us as we were in Jesus. What in the world, what in the world will God do with us now? You'll just have to come back next week to hear the rest of the story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen. <laughs>